Part Four, Sections Four and Five of the Song of the Lark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Pingling. The Song of the Lark by Willis Cypher Cather, Part Four, Sections Four and Five. Section 4 Thea had a superstitious feeling about the pot-shirts, and liked better to leave them in the dwellings where she found them. If she took a few bits back to her own lodge and hid them under the blankets, she did it guiltily, as if she were being watched. She was a guest in these houses, and ought to behave as such. Nearly every afternoon she went to the chambers which contained the most interesting fragments of pottery, sat and looked at them for a while. Some of them were beautifully decorated. This care, expended upon vessels that could not hold food or water any better for the additional labor put upon them, made her heart go out to those ancient potters. They had not only expressed their desire, but they had expressed it as beautifully as they could. Food, fire, water, and something else. Even here, in this crack in the world, so far back in the night of the past. Down here at the beginning, that painful thing was already stirring, the seed of sorrow and of so much delight. There were jars done in delicate overlay, like pine cones, and there were many patterns in a low relief, like basket work. Some of the pottery was decorated in color, red and brown, black and white, in graceful geometrical patterns. One day, on a fragment of a shallow bowl, she found a crested serpent's head, painted in red on terracotta. Again she found half a bowl with a broad band of white cliff-houses painted on a black ground. They were scarcely conventionalized at all. There they were in the black border, just as they stood in the rock before her. It brought her centuries nearer to these people to find that they saw their houses exactly as she saw them. Yes, Ray Kennedy was right. All these things made one feel that one ought to do one's best, and help to fulfill some desire of the dust that slept there. A dream had been dreamed there long ago, in the night of ages, and the wind had whispered some promise to the sadness of the savage. In their own way, those people had felt beginnings of what was to come. These pot-shirts were like fetters that bound one to a long chain of human endeavor. Not only did the world seem older and richer to Thea now, but she herself seemed older. She had never been alone for so long before, or thought so much. Nothing had ever engrossed her so deeply as the daily contemplation of that line of pale yellow houses tucked into the wrinkle of the cliff. Moonstone and Chicago had become vague. Here everything was simple and definite, as things had been in childhood. Her mind was like a rag-bag into which she had been frantically thrusting whatever she could grab, 
and here she must throw this lumber away the things that were really hers separated themselves from the rest her ideas were simplified became sharper and clearer she felt united and strong when thea had been at the ottenburg ranch for two months she got a letter from fred announcing that he might be alone at almost any time now the letter came at night and the next morning she took it down into the canyon with her she was delighted that he was coming soon she had never felt so grateful to anyone and she wanted to tell him everything that had happened to her since she had been there more than had happened in all her life before certainly she liked fred better than anyone else in the world there was hassani of course but hassani was always tired just now and here she wanted someone who had never been tired who could catch an idea and run with it she was ashamed to think what an apprehensive drudge she must always have seemed to fred and she wondered why he had concerned himself about her at all perhaps she would never be so happy or so good-looking again and she would like fred to see her for once at her best she had not been singing much but she knew that her voice was more interesting than it had ever been before she had begun to understand that with her at least voice was first of all vitality a lightness in the body and a driving power in the blood if she had that she could sing when she felt so keenly alive lying on that insensible shelf of stone when her body bounded like a rubber ball away from its hardness then she could sing this too she could explain to fred he would know what she meant another week passed thea did the same things as before felt the same inferences went over the same ideas but there was a livelier movement in her thoughts and a freshening of sensation like the brightness which came over the underbrush after a shower a persistent affirmation or denial was going on in her like the tapping of the woodpecker in the one tall pine tree across the chasm musical phrases drove each other rapidly through her mind and the song of the cicada was now too long and too sharp everything seemed suddenly to take the form of a desire for action it was while she was in this abstracted state waiting for the clock to strike that thea at last made up her mind what she was going to try to do in the world and that she was going to germany to study without further loss of time only by the merest chance had she ever got to panther canyon there was certainly no kindly providence that directed one's life and one's parents did not in the least care what became of one so long as one did not misbehave and endanger their comfort one's life was at the mercy of blind chance she had better take it in her own hands and lose everything than meekly draw the plough under the rod of parental guidance she had seen it when she was at home last summer the hostility of comfortable self-satisfied people toward any serious effort even to her father it seemed indecorous whenever she spoke seriously he looked apologetic 
yet she had clung fast to whatever was left of moonstone in her mind no more of that the cliff dwellers had lengthened her past she had older and higher obligations section five one sunday afternoon late in july old henry biltmer was rheumatically descending into the head of the canyon the sunday before had been one of those cloudy days fortunately rare when the life goes out of that country and it becomes a gray ghost an empty shivering uncertainty henry had spent the day in the barn his canyon was a reality only when it was flooded with the light of its great lamp when the yellow rocks cast purple shadows and the resin was fairly cooking in the corkscrew cedars the yuccas were in blossom now out of each clump of sharp bayonet leaves rose a tall stalk hung with greenish-white bells with thick flashy petals the niggerhead cactus was thrusting its crimson blooms up out of every crevice in the rocks henry had come out on the pretext of hunting a spade and pickaxe that young ottenburg had borrowed but he was keeping his eyes open he was really very curious about the new occupants of the canyon and what they found to do there all day long he let his eye travel along the gulf for a mile or so to the first turning where the fissure zigzagged out and then receded behind a stone promontory on which stood the yellowish crumbling ruin of the old watch-tower from the base of this tower which now threw its shadow forward bits of rock kept flying out into the open gulf skating upon the air until they lost their momentum then falling like chips until they rang upon the ledges at the bottom of the gorge or splashed into the stream biltmer shaded his eyes with his hand there on the promontory against the cream-colored cliff were two figures nimbly moving in the light both slender and agile entirely absorbed in their game they looked like two boys both were hatless and both wore white shirts henry forgot his pickaxe and followed the trail before the cliff houses toward the tower behind the tower as he well knew were heaps of stones large and small piled against the face of the cliff he had always believed that the indian watchman piled them there for ammunition thea and fred had come upon these missiles and were throwing them for distance as biltmer approached he could hear them laughing and he caught thea's voice high and excited with a ring of vexation in it fred was teaching her to throw a heavy stone like a discus when it was fred's turn he sent a triangular shaped stone out into the air with considerable skill thea watched it enviously standing in a half-defiant posture her sleeves rolled above her elbows and her face flushed with heat and excitement after fred's third missile had run upon the rocks below she snatched up a stone and stepped impatiently out on the ledge in front of him he caught her by the elbows and pulled her back not so close you silly 
you'll spin yourself off in a minute. You went that close. There's your heel mark, she retorted. Well, I know how. That makes a difference. He drew a mark in the dust with his toe. There, that's right. Don't step over that. Pivot yourself on your spine and make a half turn. When you've swung your length, let it go. Thea settled the flat piece of rock between her wrist and fingers, faced the cliff wall, stretched her arm in position, whirled round on her left foot to the full stretch of her body, and let the missile spin out over the gulf. She hung expectantly in the air, forgetting to draw back her arm, her eyes following the stone as if it carried her fortunes with it. Her comrade watched her. There weren't many girls who could show a line like that from the toe to the thigh, from the shoulder to the tip of the outstretched hand. The stone spanned itself and began to fall. Thea drew back and struck her knee furiously with her palm. There it goes again. Not nearly so far as yours. What is the matter with me? Give me another. She faced the cliff and whirled again. The stone spun out, not quite so far as before. Ottenberg laughed. Why do you keep on working after you've thrown it? You can't help it alone, then. Without replying, Thea stooped and selected another stone, took a deep breath, and made another turn. Fred watched the disc, exclaiming, Good girl! You got past the pine that time. That's a good throw. She took out her handkerchief and wiped her glowing face and throat, pausing to feel her right shoulder with her left hand. Aha! You've made yourself sore, haven't you? What did I tell you? You go at things too hard. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Thea. Fred dusted his hands and began tucking in the blouse of his shirt. I'm going to make some single sticks and teach you to fence. You'd be all right there. You are light and quick, and you've got lots of drive in you. I'd like to have you come at me with foils. You'd look so fierce, he chuckled. She turned away from him and stubbornly sent out another stone, hanging in the air after its flight. Her fury amused Fred, who took all games lightly and played them well. She was breathing hard, and little beads of moisture had gathered on her upper lip. He slipped his arm about her. If you will look as pretty as that, he bent his head and kissed her. Thea was startled, gave him an angry push, drove at him with her free hand in a manner quite hostile. Fred was on his mettle in an instant. He pinned both her arms down and kissed her resolutely. When he released her, she turned away and spoke over her shoulder. That was mean of you, but I suppose I deserved what I got. I should say you did deserve it, Fred painted, turning savage on me like that. I should say you did deserve it. He saw her shoulders harden. Well, I just said I deserved it, didn't I? What more do you want? I want you to tell me why you flew at me like that. You weren't playing. You looked as if you'd like to murder me. She brushed back her hair impatiently. I didn't mean anything, really. You interrupted me when I was watching the stone. 
I can't jump from one thing to another. I pushed you without thinking. Fred thought her back expressed contrition. He went up to her, stood behind her with his chin above her shoulder, and said something in her ear. Thea laughed and turned toward him. They left the stone pile carelessly, as if they had never been interested in it, rounded the yellow tower, and disappeared into the second turn of the canyon, where the dead city, interrupted by the jutting promontory, began again. Old Biltmer had been somewhat embarrassed by the turn the game had taken. He had not heard their conversation, but the pantomime against the rocks was clear enough. When the two young people disappeared, their host retreated rapidly toward the head of the canyon. I guess that young lady can take care of herself, he chuckled. Young Fred, though, he has quite a way with them. End of Part 4, Sections 4 and 5 Recording by Shi Ping Ling